Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Time now for the Jack Riccardi Show. And here is Jack Riccardi. I hope you had a good weekend. It was fabulous. Too short, but it was good. Nice. Fabulous is the strong word, but okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I um so one of the stories that we kept hearing over the weekend was there may be a special master. Yes. Appointed, right? Yep. Hasn't happened yet. The door is open to it. Uh it well, it looks like it's going to happen. Uh the DOJ might yeah. take some some steps to try to block it, but they're going to try to block it. Well, for right now though, the the judge has authorized it. That's how we're understanding it. Um there's still some more things coming down the pipeline, but it does look like it'll happen. Here's what I don't get though, Christian. I mean, we've just spent the last 2 or 3 years stripping off all this politically incorrect language, all this verbiage. I remember when they came out and said, you can't call it a master bedroom or a master bathroom. You're not allowed to say that anymore. Realtors have to use new terms. It's mm-hmm. called the primary suite, in case you're wondering. And then we can't have like team owners in the NBA, because that sounds too much like a plantation. So the, the guy that uh, writes the checks is the principal of the team. That's what they told us. <laughs> You're right. How did special master escape this? That, Boy, that's that's, a, that's that a good question. Sounds really politically like incorrect, right? Like that's that should have been the first one to go. I'm a little embarrassed. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, good point. I mean, I'm I'm saying it tongue in cheek, but I'm I'm just I'm amazed they missed that one. You know, they they hardly missed a statue. They hardly missed a word. They rewrote the dictionary, the encyclopedia, but somehow special master. They might have to switch it to special person. The special person, which, you know, (laughs) know. sounds sounds like a nice compliment, you know. (laughs) I'm giving you a special person. Oh, good. All right. Well, I hope you had a wonderful weekend. And now welcome to our dreadful little show for Tuesday here in the late afternoon. You know, if you try to understand the president's red light special last week as sort of a... uh, catharsis right where he's he's had it with the trumpies and he's had it with with uh these uh, mega republicans if, if that was sort of his temper tantrum or you know grandpa's blowing off some steam then it doesn't explain how as the weekend wore on so we, thursday became friday friday became saturday this president continued to come across as enraged deranged um, I, I mean, we've got to apologize to Howard Dean because this president has a Howard Dean moment in every speech he gives. There was a moment um, in one of the speeches he gave over the weekend. These were all Labor Day themed, you know, Democrats, Party of the Working Man. <clears throat> and um, and uh, he started shouting at the top of his lungs, We beat Pharma! We beat Pharma this year. And no one knows what he's talking about. Because um, the Democrats have made 
Moderna and Pfizer and Pharma. They've steered billions of dollars into that industry. They're mandating every new product these companies come up with. And this president and his party receive exponentially more Wall Street donations than Donald Trump did, or than Mitt Romney did, or than John McCain did. It's been a long time. You were watching a way smaller television the last time that big business was in cahoots with the Republican Party. And then the president said something else. He said, Wall Street didn't build this country. Working people did. And it reminded me of, do you remember when, um, I think it was Elizabeth Warren, but a bunch of them were going around saying, you didn't build this, you didn't build that. I think that was the 2012 uh, election, because I remember the Romney people, were. we were at that convention, and they were all wearing the um, yes I did build this or yes we did build this t-shirts but anyway um, I don't ever remember anyone claiming I don't know any version of economics or any version of American history that says Wall Street built this country Um, Wall Street didn't even exist as the thing it is today for the early history of this country Wall Street is not a reality in the lives of every working man and woman or in every business. So I, I, it's like setting up a straw man and then knocking him down. And the irony is that the guy who's decrying Wall Street is getting all the big money from Wall Street. But the theme really continues to be that if you're a Trump supporter, you're a fascist. There was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal by Lance Morrow where he wrote um, Biden's speech had it all backwards. He wrote, if there are fascists in America these days, they're apt to be found among the left. Um, Their opinions have hardened into absolute faith, he wrote, that any person or political belief system except their own is illegitimate, impermissible, inhuman, monstrous, and a threat to democracy. The evolution of their overprivileged emotions, their sentimentality gone fanatic, has led them to embrace Mussolini's formula. Mussolini, the great fascist leader of Italy, who said, all within the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. And people forget that fascism, the way Mussolini practiced it, fascism the way Hitler practiced it, was actually an enemy of, an opponent of, socialism and communism. But I don't think that means you can't be a socialist and be a fascist. A fascism is just the means of attaining and consolidating power. You, You can want power no matter what your ideology is. But I think it's worth asking, who are the real fascists? If the idea is to combine government and business, if the idea is for government to collude with, for example, the tech sector or the news networks, if the idea is to throttle down on people's free speech using the private sector because you can't get away with it in the public sector, if the idea is to call any opinion or 
or uh, political system other than yours illegitimate or a threat to democracy. That's what they're doing. That's not what Trump people are doing. That's not what Fox News is doing. You can hear other opinions. They will invite other opinions. We welcome debate. They don't. There's an interesting thing going on at CNN. Nobody's quite sure what has happened over there. We know there's a new guy in charge. We know that he's determined they are not going to be able to make it as a far-left political channel. It doesn't mean, by the way, that he's some conservative. He's just a guy that wants better ratings for CNN. So one by one, they're starting to kick people off that network who just can't get with the new program. And the ones that are still there, again, I'm not telling you to watch, but if you don't believe me, check it out. The ones that are still there are definitely testing the waters of expressing contrary points of view. So there's a, a reporter over there named Sarah Sidner. She suggested on Twitter, not even on the air, that the um, Hunter Biden story is a good story, and it's an important story and needs to be covered. She wrote, there are serious questions that should be asked about Hunter. He's not an elected official, but legitimate questions should be asked and answered about his former business dealings and how it was handled by the FBI. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. Not to say there hasn't been some good reporting by many outlets already, but she's basically saying, hey, this is, this is a legit story. And what's funny is she got... The, the cancel mob came after her. She's just another liberal, bedwetter CNN reporter. But all of a sudden, because she stepped out of line one time, because she dared to say one thing, and she said it very meekly, the replies to her tweets are hilarious. Um... First of all, they're all unfollowing her. They lost all respect for her. They're calling CNN Fox News light. Trust me, they haven't <laughs> they haven't earned that moniker. Um another one bites the dust. She tried debating back. Hey, I'm not saying it's the most important story. It's just one of them. Hey, I'm not saying he's guilty of anything. I'm just saying we ought to look. Nope, nope, nope. You're canceled. They're furious. So the the lie that they were just playing it down the middle and just covering the news, no. You have to be a cheerleader. That is a kind of informational fascism that doesn't permit any other point of view, any other interpretation, any alternate. This was on Twitter, not even on the airwaves. Nope, can't do it, can't have it. Um, this, to me, is a typical 2022 story right here. I saw this today. They've decided in New York City to eliminate bad weather days off for the kids. You know, when there's a blizzard or an ice storm. Instead of the kids getting the day off, instead of canceling school, they want them to do virtual learning. They want them to hook up to the computer and do do distance learning that day. 
no more snow days, no more unexpected, hey, we got an extra day in the weekend, or we get Wednesday off, or whatever. And um, we all know what a what a smashing success remote learning was. It's It's brilliant. It works really well. So naturally, we should bring it back. I mean, it's been a success. Let's have more of it. And I think this is so sad because when when I was growing up, and if you don't know this, I grew up in the Northeast. We snow days were a big deal to us. We would um, get very excited if there was weather coming in. If we heard on the news there was a chance of a blizzard, we prayed for it as hard as we prayed for anything in those days. We prayed for snow days, and it taught you to watch the news and listen to the local news. As kids, we took a, a very keen interest in what the local meteorologist was saying. Normally a kid wouldn't pay any attention, but we wanted to know. And then in the morning you would listen to the news talk radio station like the KTSA of that area, and you would hear the the cancellations in order. Somebody like Trey Ware would be banging them out, rat-a-tat-tat, and they'd be in alphabetical order. And you had to figure out where your town came in that list. And I remember it was Natick, Needham, Newbury, Newburyport, Newton. I still remember that. And it wasn't that we hated school or we went to a terrible school, but what a release to have a whole day to just go out. And, of course, we had to shovel. But then once we finished that, the day was ours. We could make snow forts and snowmen and snowball fights and do whatever and just be kids. Now they're going to cancel all that. Say, no, 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 distance learning on that day. Who are, were these people never children? I want to talk about that. In fact, I put it on the poll question today because I just think that's ridiculous. Let them have a day once in a while. If you're worried about all the, you know, the, the, the time they're missing, you should be more worried about what was missed during the distance learning. A day here and a day there at this point isn't going to make a difference. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I mean, come on, man. Not this year. We beat Farmer this year. We beat Farmer this year, and it mattered. We're going to change people's lives. We finally beat Farmer. Mm. And we're going to go to Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Delaware and Maryland. Yeah! That dude had one moment, and we call it a Howard Dean moment. Biden has one of these every day. He's gotten angrier since Thursday night. He didn't blow off his steam and release all of his pent-up fury. He's getting progressively more unhinged. And you better agree with them, says the White House. I think we played this last week. I want to play it again. This is uh, the press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, saying when you're not with the majority, then that makes you extreme. Cut number one. Again, we see majority of Americans who disagree. And so when you are not with where majority of Americans are, then, you know, that is extreme. That is an extreme way of thinking. Isn't it weird to hear an African-American woman who's a lesbian say that if you're not with the mainstream, you're extreme? That would make her extreme. Her lifestyle would be, by her definition, not mine, extreme. But, you see, you can throw this stuff around, 
as long as the message is consistent and clear that if you're not with us, there's only there's only two possibilities. You're either inside the party, inside the movement, or you're a threat to all of us. And that was what fascists who came to power in the last century in Europe, that's what they started out with. That was the premise. They came in, Mussolini and Hitler came into countries that were very divided and fragmented and desperate. Countries that felt like they, they had fallen off the path of their own past greatness or glory. And they said, we're going to make it very simple. You have to be with us. That's why Mussolini called it fascism. He was referring to a symbol from uh, the Roman era when an official carried a bundle of wooden rods. Those were the fasces. And he carried those as a symbol that he was the state, he was the government, he was the authority. So we're not having a debate. We're telling you to get in line. And they're calling us fascists, but really their behavior is fascist. What do you think? 210-599-5555. Now, about these snow days, I don't know if you remember, we had a, a guy on the show, this was about 12 years ago, and it was one of the most responded to interviews we've ever done. I mean, we've had a lot of authors and a lot of people. I, I, I don't know if we've ever had more of a response to a book. This was a book called Ten Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. Ten Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. It was obviously a tongue-in-cheek title. Anthony Esselin was the author. His point was not, let's destroy your child. His point was... Here are all the things we do to modern childhood that, that ruins it. We overschedule. We make play dates. We, we book up the free time. Oh, I'm picking you up from school, but then I'm bringing you here, and then I'm bringing you there, and then you've got practice, and then you've got this, and you get that. And he said, it's, you know, we've got a, a childhood, a modern childhood, where there is no unscheduled time. Parents feel like a failure if they haven't enrolled signed up, everything. And as a result, he said, you miss the daydreaming, the, you know, lying on your back, looking up at the clouds. You miss the games kids used to make up to amuse themselves. Remember we talked a week or two ago about riding your bike all, all in the summer you'd ride your bike all day, wouldn't come home until the street lights came on. So Anthony Esselin's point was kids need some of that. That goes into shaping you as an adult. That goes into shaping your imagination and your intellect. It makes you a more interesting person. If you're constantly being driven from activity to activity, all that does is fill the time, make the time pass. That doesn't necessarily make a well-rounded person. And I think he had a good point. And these snow days that kids get, even down here, when you get a, a day when we have freezing rain or something and they, they close the schools. I'm sorry, but that's not a bad thing. That's not a terrible thing. It's a day, a day here, a day there. You know, 10 years from now, no one will know the difference. 
You know, whether you had 179 days of the 8th grade or 180 days of the 8th grade, no one will know. And it's just so typical of, we have adults today who seem never to have been children. I don't know how they got there. They came, I guess they came out of the womb. I guess their birthing person popped them out, and they were already an adult. They don't remember. They don't know. Who comes up with this? Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's the same people that wanted distance learning in the first place. And by the way, who would even propose after everything that we've now seen, all the damage that's been tallied from the distance learning period of 2020 and 2021, who would propose, hey, let's have a little more of that. Can we go back for seconds or thirds? Who would do that? Well, they're doing it. New York City. On the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, should schools replace days off for bad weather with virtual learning days? They're going to do it, I guess, in New York City. Jeff is on KTSA. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. I'm just curious, what time of the morning will the schools inform the parents that don't send your kid to school today, you got to keep him at home? I mean, I... If weather forecasting was a lot more accurate, I could see they could let them know a couple of days ahead of time. But since it doesn't appear to be that accurate, I can't imagine parents getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning and then finding out whether they got to stay at home or they send their kid to school or how exactly. Well, I mean, it was always with, with, the, with the bad weather days, you were always, they, they're always going to call it, almost always going to call it in the morning. That's always been the case. It's very rare that they will call it the day before. Um, so they make the call early in the morning. That's why you listen to Trey in the morning and you get the list of the cancellations. Um, it, it's not that it will change what the parents have to do because your kid's going to be either home having fun or home tied to the computer for six hours or eight hours or whatever it is. But I just don't see what the point is when we've already determined through a two-year experiment that they don't learn on the computer. It doesn't work. Is do do schools get paid? Is it perhaps an well? They get fun. Yes, they have to do a, mi- a minimum number of of days, and it's different in every state. And schools will tell you their argument will be: Look, we hate we hate bad weather days. Uh, we hate school cancellations. We know the kids love them, but we hate them because if we uh, ex- uh, you know exceed our allotted bad weather days, they build a few into the schedule. If we exceed those. Then we have to extend the school year. It fouls up everybody's plans. I, I, I get all that. But what they're doing is they're saying, we're not going to have any bad weather days. When it's bad weather, your kid is going to be distance learning. What a slap in the face to people who have just seen the, the educational damage done by that approach. So if your child is one of those who lost ground, this is the school system saying, we don't care. We, we, of course, we know that doesn't work. You know that doesn't work, distance learning. But we're going we're gonna to slap you with it anyway. And even more than that, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It could just be me. I, I think to myself, kids ought to get a, a, a surprise, a nice surprise once in a while where they thought they were going to go to school <clears throat> and they've got the day instead. I think that's a great thing. You can tell me, I know there's a lot of single parents and some people, It's, I'm, I'm sure it's not 
ideal for every kid, every situation. But God, could the could the public education system just just take a breather once in a while? Is it all right for them to just have a day once in a while? And maybe they won't go outside and play in the fresh air. Maybe they'll look at their phone or they'll watch cartoons or they'll sleep or they'll eat junk food. But it's okay to be a kid, you know? This idea that, oh, no, 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 we can't miss a day of indoctrination. Hook them up to the computer. I just, I think that's sad. But that may just be me. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. And you can also vote in the JR poll at ktsa.com. Uh, do you know who um, Jennifer Lawrence is, the actress Jennifer Lawrence? Hunger Games, some other things. She um, recently had a baby, I guess, and she did an interview with Vogue. I borrowed Don Cooper's copy because I don't read Vogue. And um, he didn't know I had it because he was watching The View. So, But apparently in this interview, she talks about how having a baby has changed her worldview. Her baby's name is Causeway. You know, okay. But anyway, she says in the interview, quote, I can't F with people who aren't political anymore. She says she is so serious about what's going on in the world that she cannot tolerate, she can't stand having people in her life who are not political. And she talks about Roe v. Wade, guns, climate, you know, threat to democracy. She also says in the interview, I'm not making this up. If Don gives me permission, I'll loan you the copy of Vogue. She says she has nightmares about Tucker Carlson. (laughs) She has nightmares about Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson? Tucker Carlson? Nightmares? That would be like if I had nightmares about Brian Stelter or Don Lemon. Trust me, I don't. How can these be real people? I mean, I get, okay, they're, you can say, well, Jack, they're not like us. They're celebrities. Yeah, but they started out like us. How is it that you go from being tuned out to so tuned in that you have this monomania for politics. There's no, like, balance there. And that I'm sorry to stereotype, and I know it's not true of everyone on the left, but it seems to be a real fixation with people on the left. They get this idea that serious people are serious all the time. There can't be any letting up. Abortion rights all the time. I don't care about her political views. I'm not picking on her for having them. But the idea that she looks down her nose at people that aren't as interested or aren't as engaged. Did did it ever occur to her that she might have a little more free time to pour over this stuff or obsess over it? Because she's, she's an actress. And that maybe somebody that's working two jobs and does shift work and has kids to take care of and, you know, 
sorry, they don't have time to go to the the you know the Planned Parenthood meeting. She's talking about how she's trying to find it in her heart to forgive her family with whom she differs politically. Why do you have to forgive people? Why is that a why is that the word? How about you just know people that have different I just know people that have different politics for me. You probably do too. I don't love them any less. I don't worry about them. I don't I might I might get into a discussion with them, but if it's not getting us anywhere and uh they seem pretty set in their beliefs, I'm just going to let it go. Because I don't see it as my job to forgive them. <laughs> They're not asking for forgiveness. It's not mine to give. Believing what they believe isn't a forgiveness thing anyway. I, I realize that sometimes these celebrities, they do these interviews, they probably say a lot of stuff, and probably 90% of it gets left in the notebook or on the tape or whatever. And so maybe maybe they edit these things and they pick out the most sort of racy or provocative things that the person says. Maybe Maybe, maybe a lot of these celebs are kind of insipid people, and you've got to pick out a few juicy, you know, bites here and there because everything else is boring. But it just she just comes across as <laughs> she's working so hard to forgive her ignorant Republican family, and she's trying so hard to scrub these Tucker Carlson nightmares. She doesn't say what Tucker Carlson does in the nightmares. I'm not sure I want to know. I could live without knowing that. 210-599-5555. Your vote's by, in the by JR the way, poll. Jack, I'm still Another... waiting to get my uh, July issue of Woman's Day magazine back yeah, from you. I, well, as it. soon as I finish with this Vogue, I'll get it right back to your magazine rack there in the studio. <laughs> I wondered when you were going to clue in on that. On our uh, KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners newsmaker line right now is retired judge and former Bear County DA Steve Hilbig. Judge, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Over the weekend, we got the ner- the uh, news that um, a federal judge wants a special master for the materials seized at Mar-a-Lago. Um, a lot of people are asking the question, Judge, if if there's the need for this, why wasn't this in place from the beginning? Well, I'm not sure what the um, attorney general has done, but generally speaking, like when I was a federal prosecutor and say we raided uh, a doctor's office or sometimes a lawyer's office, then internally uh, what we would do was we would have someone not associated with the investigation review the documents and separate them out to see if there were things like attorney-client privilege or mm-hmm. doctor-patient uh, privilege. And, and then that person, even though they were part of the U.S. attorney's office, uh, they were not to share any information they saw with the other people who were doing the investigation, the only records that that first person would would share with those doing the investigation were those records that came under the search warrant and not within one of those two privileges. So I think what's going on here is that the, uh, the judge is saying, okay, look, yeah, DOJ is looking and DOJ is going to keep it separate because of what's gone on in the past and because it's the president and because of such uh, national interest in this. We're not real sure that the public's going to buy that DOJ did it the right way. And so, therefore, uh, she kind of said that, well, I think we ought to have a special master do what normally DOJ does with in-house. 
I guess, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, it almost sounds like this is window dressing to make the procedure more palatable to the public. Well, it could be, except I think what DOJ was also arguing is that, well, you're a little late, we've already done it. I think that was when they're filing that, that they've already completed a review and have made that. But I think, again, it's kind of like that the judge is saying, no, we ought to have somebody outside of that office. Look, you could call it window dressing, but maybe it's an attempt to try to restore some you know, credibility to the system, if you will. But would, a, would a special mat I – mean, I, I probably got the wrong idea from watching too many TV shows, but, I mean, I, I thought a special master sat there and said, here's stuff you guys cannot look at. It's privileged. Um, here's stuff you can look at. It's not. But what you're telling me and what we already know is they probably already looked at everything. Right. Uh, but I think that they would have employed the same procedure, and their argument will be, but, but the people involved in the investigation on the criminal side, they were not the ones that looked at it. Uh, trust us, we had somebody else, and, and we used to call it a Chinese wall, and I don't know if that's inappropriate anymore or not, but we used to say there's a Chinese wall where you know the left hand cannot know what the right hand is doing if the right hand is looking at the paperwork. Uh, and, and that was, was done several times while I was a federal prosecutor, and, and I'll tell you that the attorneys involved took that very seriously. There was no, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod here. Uh, I, I know you can't look at this, but I'm going to leave my office and let you see what's on my desk. you got to admit, though, there's some components to this case, i.e. the very political uh, behavior of some people at the FBI, that probably make it different from a lot of the cases that normally that you handled or that would normally come up, right? Right, and I think that's why the judge did what she did. It's kind of like, okay, we've seen things out in the public that mean that we can't always trust the FBI. And she's not saying it that way, but but I think she's acknowledging that the public trust in the FBI is, is pretty low right now, at least the upper management part of it. And so, therefore, this was kind of her her way of, of taking care of that. Uh, and, you know, they can try appealing it, but I don't think that anybody would get it reversed in that she's acting in equity. And in equity, you know, you're not really following a the law. There's not a law that says, hey, the judge can do this. It's just that it's a longstanding procedure in appropriate circumstances to do. And the appellate court would have to say, well, number one, she didn't have the authority to do it, which I don't think they're going to say. And number two, that she abused her discretion in doing it. And, and again, I think that it was probably the right move. It may have been a little late, but it was probably the right move. All right. Judge Hilbig, always appreciate it, sir. Take care. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you, Jack. Always enjoy being on your show. Um, we had job numbers last uh, week, obviously, for uh, the month of August. And uh, there's a lot of very gaudy attention-getting statistics out there about the job market. Like we, we told you the other day, uh, for the first time in statistical memory, there are approximately two jobs for every job seeker. That's the widest the gap has ever been between jobs that are available and people seeking jobs. We know that every month hundreds of thousands of jobs, the government says are added, but we know are, of course, being re-added since COVID. But in talking to people that are job hunters, and I happen to know a number of people who are in the market right now, um, it's kind of a weird 
Seems like kind of a weird market. I want to ask you, if you are job hunting right now and you're willing to talk about it, I'm just curious to know, what what is it like? Because what I'm hearing is you can get interviews, but then the process gets kind of slow-walked. Like, yes, we'll interview you. And a lot of the interviews are virtual, by the way. Most of them are now virtual. But then... It seems like, from what I'm hearing from people I know, and these are, these are people I know, and I know they are actually trying to get a job. They're, they're not, you know, making excuses for not having one. Um, what they're saying is either it's a very slow wait after the interview, as if these companies are really taking their time hiring people, and, and why might that be? Or in some cases, if it's a smaller business, they're so short-handed that the person you do the interview with is like, I, I'm sorry, I may not get back to you this week, but I'll try to get back to you next week. They're so busy trying to keep their heads above water that they don't actually have the kind of time it takes to hire. Because hiring somebody is time-consuming, right? you got to meet with them. you got to do the paperwork. you got to train them or orient them. If a company is already short-handed and they're barely treading water, nobody can afford the luxury of saying, well, I'm going to take all day, you know, Wednesday to help Sue here or help uh, Jim here, you know, get up to speed. And so that, I'm just curious. It's a, it seems like a very weird job market. I mean, I've seen job markets where there weren't a lot of jobs and the few that were out there were fiercely competed over. We've seen job markets that were, you know, where if you were, if you were, um, looking there were people were hiring the economy was robust this seems like a hybrid of the two and it's like the one friend of mine said the the stuff you report not me personally but the stuff you and the media are saying about the availability of jobs that's not what i'm finding or at least it's not leading to getting hired quickly so you hear, oh, employers are desperate, and the service sector needs people, and it's having a hard time retaining people. Yeah, but in some cases, it's also very hard to get in there. What What is your experience if you're in the job market? 210-599-5555. What's the real deal? Not the statistics. What's the real deal in the San Antonio job market right now? We're talking about that. And we're getting your votes on the uh, Stevens Roofing JR poll. Should schools replace days off for bad weather with virtual learning days, meaning there would never be like a free day if it snowed or iced or whatever, the kids would just sign into Google Classroom and do a, a day's worth of that. Do you agree with that? 210 599 Well, you heard me, you heard me kind of probably too much <laughs> talking about college football last week because I was so excited and I just want you to know I was all in I was watching Thursday night Friday night Saturday games out the wazoo Saturday there were games Sunday college games and there was even one last night um the Houston UTSA game I, I got to tell you, it was as good as any game played on the weekend. Four overtimes, 
incredible. And even though UTSA lost, and I know that was a bummer because they had they just came off a dream season and now they're zero and one, but they lost to a very good Houston team and they gave them a great game. And that Frank Harris is some kind of quarterback. Uh, but I watched uh, Oregon Georgia, which was a real statement win for Georgia, the national champs. And they here they have uh, one of the strong Pac-12 teams come in, just absolutely embarrass the hell out of them. Uh, I watched Michigan and Colorado State, which was kind of a cupcake uh, team, but I wanted to see, everybody wants to see how Michigan is going to be this year. Was it a one-year phenomenon last year? Um, and they're, they're one of several teams that are still trying to figure out who their starting quarterback is going to be. They're going with an alternating weeks system for Michigan. But I watched Utah-Florida, which was a big statement win uh, for Florida. Notre Dame and Ohio State, which lived up to its billing. Um, and then Sunday was Sunday was an incredible end. If you watched Florida State and LSU, it was a you know down to the wire, last second drive. Um, they had one second. LSU had one second to tie the game. They they get it in the end zone. Time expires. Now all they have to do is kick the extra point. Miss the extra point. And that was Brian Kelly's first game at LSU. And then last night was not a, not a great game. It was kind of a blowout. Clemson over Georgia Tech. But, um, again, Clemson's one of those teams like Michigan. You want to see, well, where are they this year, you know? And, and also kind of interested in this Georgia Tech quarterback. He's a kid named Jeff Sims. Kind of battled some personal demons and, um, he has some great raw talent, and it was kind of cool to see him have some good moments, some solid moments last night, even though, again, they lost to Clemson. So, All right, so we're talking about the job market, 210-599-5555, and we'll get your votes in on the um, poll question about snow days. I would hate to see those go. That was, an, that was a really cool, as kids, that was something we really got excited about. And I don't think, you know, a day here, a day there, when you look back, you know, when you if you can even remember your K through 12 education, I mean really, like what? Did, did one day here, one day there really going to make a difference? Really going to you know determine your your lifelong happiness and fulfillment? I don't think so. Let them have some fun. Yeah, the question about the job market, I'm not trying to be nosy and if you don't want to I I could understand if you wouldn't want to talk about it at all, but if you just want to kind of Tell me how it is. What's the, you know, climate? Because from what I'm hearing, yeah, there's a lot of companies hiring in San Antonio, big and small, all different service sector, you know, everything, restaurants, everything. But in some cases, it's not as, you know, snap, crackle, pop as you would think. And it may be that Companies have these openings or know that they need another body. But I think everybody is also wondering what's next. I mean, I can't even imagine. I don't know what's coming next, and I'm not running a business. I'm not making a payroll. I can't imagine. So I could see a business person, a man or a woman, running a, a small business, a family business, something like that, thinking, yes, we clearly need help or we need more people, but we're not sure what's coming next.
What are you finding as you go out and about? 210-599-5555. Mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, is really on a tear about these uh, Greg Abbott buses. We were calling them Greg Hound, right, for a while. Let's go back to calling them Greg Hound. So Governor Abbott is putting um, illegal aliens... Who, by the way, these are all people that volunteered to go to Chicago, New York, Washington. It's not like they don't know. They're not being put on there by force. They're not tied up and thrown in the back. They know where they're going. They volunteered. Um, these are people that want a free ride to D.C. or Chicago. And he's now sent... Uh, several thousand of them up to these sanctuary cities. Lori Lightfoot over the weekend described it as racist, says that she doesn't think Greg Abbott is a good Christian and that it's unpatriotic. That's the big three, right? She, she, She didn't miss an adjective. Now, As we've talked about before, when these cities were declaring themselves sanctuaries, it was while Trump was president. And back then, they seemed to have a very different attitude. They were saying, all will be welcome. We are a, you know, shining city on a hill. This is what Lori Lightfoot said in April of 2019. We are a city that is a sanctuary city. We proudly have immigrants from all over the world who call Chicago their home. They'll continue to do that, and we're going to continue to make sure that this is truly a welcoming community for all those immigrants. We want them to come to the city of Chicago. That's a quote. April 13, 2019. But see, Trump was president. The border was closed. Not closed, but controlled. So you could talk that way, but you wouldn't actually have to deliver on it. Now, you're regretting those words. You're eating those words. By the way, how do you go from being a city that says, bring them all, all are welcome, one and all, to being overwhelmed by a few hundred? Oh, my God, we need the National Guard. Call the White House. Call the National Guard. Call FEMA. What? What? I don't get it. The You said all are welcome. That would be like if you invited me to your house for dinner. Come over at 7 o'clock and have dinner, and I show up at 7 o'clock, and you go, what are you doing here? We're about to sit down and have dinner. This isn't a good time. 210-599-5555. You know, if I were Chicago, New York, I would also look at it this way. And again, I'm not, so take it for what it's worth. People are leaving those cities. Everyone that has a choice is getting the hell out of major American cities. So if you're the mayor of that ongoing enterprise and people are coming instead of whining and squawking I would take it as an opportunity 
These are replacement Chicagoans. You know, cities have changed. They've become too expensive. They've become too cr- crime-ridden. Services, the, the services provided by our major cities are in rapid decline. They're not livable places anymore. And no one really has, there's, there's no way to hold anybody accountable like you could in a smaller town. You could say, well, hey, we'll throw these bums out in the next election. All of these cities have political machines that insulate mayors and aldermen and city councilmen from doing their jobs poorly. They don't get, they don't get hurt by that. The trash doesn't get picked up. If the graffiti doesn't get cleaned up, if the streets don't get fixed, there's no political price to pay. So when you live in these cities, you know that if they're incompetent boobs, they're going to stay in office and stuff's going to stay broken. So you can either live with it and say, well, I really like being here because there are great restaurants or museums or I'm getting out. And here they are squawking because new people are arriving. Make up your mind. What do you want? We're talking about the job market uh, and what it's like here in San Antonio to be job hunting. Luann is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Luann. Oh, hello, Jack. So are you in the job market yourself right now? <laughs> I own a small business. And oh, okay. we've got seven people that work for us. We're looking for some technicians. Mm-hmm. that can service mobility equipment, medic- home medical equipment. Okay. And, oh, my gosh, it, it, I may as well be looking for, you know, an astronaut that went to the moon. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's just extraordinarily difficult. And then trying to find someone that has that particular skill set is yeah. even harder. And ironically, <clears throat> uh, probably an hour and a half ago, I filled out a a form for this U.S. Census Bureau that they kept sending me, kept sending me, wanting me to fill it out. And it was asking kind of the same questions that you're asking. What do you see happening in your business with it now? And then what about in the next six months? Do you see your sales increasing, your sales decreasing, your payroll increasing? It decre- well, shoot. Oh, and then it asked also, it wanted to know how far out I felt like I could project, mm. which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it is but interesting. Anyway, it, it was just it. It's a very, very, it's it's a very, very frustrating thing. And, and are you getting quantity but not quality? Is that what's happening? Or I'm not getting anything. You're not getting anything. No, people so aren't responding. What? What? I mean, what do you think is is wrong? I mean, you you've got to you obviously you're in a growth business from what you're telling me. A person that does your kind of work, it, it's only going to go up as the population ages. So what, what's holding people back? I don't know if they're, if they're just going along with, what's, with where they are. And, and, they're just, and people, I think, almost wait for someone to come hire them. And then that's, the other thing is there's a lot of consolidation in this with the very, very small players. There's very, very few mom and pops left in our industry, very few. And it's mm. extraordinarily difficult to make a living. And so when, when you try to find somebody that has the training that you need, it's just, you know, so many of the younger folks want to come in and they just want to do the plug and play, which yeah. there's a lot to be said for that. It's like, okay, let's just yank this, this piece out and put a new one in and then uh, there you go you know, Grandpa Jones. Well, 
that works on some things, but on some of the higher end stuff, you can't do it that way. And it does, it is rather sophisticated. And there's this gap between where we are, which does not require a huge level of sophistication mechanically. You know, you have to have, you know, no, some mechanics you have to have some electronics, but it's not like working biomedical where you're working right. on, you know, maybe an MRI machine in a hospital. So there's that, there's that middle ground. We'll try to find people like that. There's no schools, there's no technical yeah. schools that you can go to this. And I went to a seminar about, oh, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks ago here in New Braunfels in they had a panel of people in the same kind of industries that we are, the small mom and pops. You know, we had an HVAC, we had a bakery. There was, um, you know, one of the rafting companies and a couple of others. Everybody's pretty much saying the same thing, you know, trying to get people. And then when you get them, hoping and praying that they show up when they're supposed to. And it's like, okay, what's the number one qualification? Well, you stick a mirror under the nose, make sure they're breathing. And that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that ridiculous. is, that is. Well, I sure hope it gets better soon, Luann, because you sound like a nice person. It sounds like a, a great company to work for. It's certainly a growth field. I, I hope it gets better. Thank so Luann is, is in the hiring uh, side of this and saying, where are all these uh, people that are supposedly looking for work? But see, I hear from friends of mine that are that are looking for work that everything seems to be moving very slowly and a lot of businesses who've posted jobs when it gets to the moment of, okay, am I going to hire this person or not? They're like, eh, maybe we better wait and see. Maybe we better wait till after the election. Or maybe we better wait for, you know, the, the, get through the holidays. Or So I'm sure there's some of that, not in Luann's case, but I'm sure with some businesses, there's, like she said, when you hire someone, you have to project out into the future. Am I going to continue to need this person, pay this person? Um, is Will this meet my need? Not just will this meet my needs right now, but will this meet my needs in six months or a year? All right, so we've got the uh, the snow days, the bad weather days. They're taking those away from the kids, make it virtual. We've got uh, Joe Biden getting angrier and angrier. I feel like he's going to have to give another red light speech. You know, the first one didn't do it. Lori Lightfoot, very angry at Greg Abbott. He's a bad Christian. He's not patriotic. He um, he's racist. Let's see, bad Christian, not patriotic, racist. Hey, Lori, he could be a Democrat. <laughs> he's he's like, all you have to do is fill out the form. But I, you know, I I think whatever ambivalence I had about the Greyhound buses in the beginning, now that it's exposed and it is beautifully exposing sanctuary cities, um. I'm I'm good with it, and um, they they have been shown for what they really are. That whole thing, declaring them all the pious proclamations, that was all about Trump. They're not interested in in immigrants. They're not interested in people that really need help. And uh, you know, these remember these are people who can't vote yet. Maybe eventually they can vote. But right now, they're of no value to Lori Lightfoot. The only value they ever had was when Trump was in office. And she's having to eat her words. Omar is on 550 and 1071 KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Omar. Hello, Jack. Um, two things. I think it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. You know, having uh, what Lori Lightfoot said in 2019 as opposed to now. That is, you know, like you said, it's just, uh, it's it's gauging them for what you know what what the 
what the situation really really was at at that point and and I said when when this was fixing to happen, you know I didn't think Abbott I thought it was going to be it was just a uh just just a photo op just something to you know say hey I'm you know this is what I'm going to do with <clears throat> what I guess Bethel had uh had said he was going to run at the time and at the time I said you know I asked uh Governor Abbott, you know, if, as, as if I was standing in front of him, said, prove me wrong, Governor Abbott. And now I'm saying continue to prove me wrong. Keep it going. Keep it going. Well, yeah, I mean, if there are places, if you've got a, if you've got an overload, and I know you live down near the border, Omar, I mean, if you've got an overload of, of people coming in and these, these border communities cannot handle it, why would you not send them to cities that have been advertising and begging for them for the last for three years, years. Yes, why, why wouldn't absolutely. you absolutely so it's like yeah. you know they they put the vacancy sign out and now people are wanting to check in to the sanctuary cities and the sanctuary cities all of a sudden are trying to kind of turn off the vacancy sign omar thanks for the call so there's this vegan restaurant called the mango tree in england and they recently closed to do some renovations and they announced that when they reopen which will be very soon they are uh, altering their menu a little. No, more than a little. Because now they're also going to have meat. The uh, owners said they had to add meat because they just weren't making it as a vegan restaurant. They were struggling. Their customers are enraged. Well, I mean, as enraged as a vegan can be, because they're pretty, usually pretty low energy people. Right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I know. Anyway, their customers are enraged because apparently this is a betrayal. Um, selling meat is worse than closing, said one of them. <laughs> Imagine telling a restaurant you've been going to for, I don't know, do you have some place you like to go to? Imagine telling the guy or the gal that owns it, I'd rather you went out of business than made this change. I'd rather you were broke than made this change. They said they had no choice but to add meat to the menu because they want to broaden their offerings, reach more people. They put a sign that said, in the near future, we'll be undergoing an exciting period of change as we reimagine ourselves to offer new and exciting options to dine in and take away, all in the same location, et cetera, et cetera. Wide variety of dishes. They're not taking the vegan things off the menu. They're just adding meat. I have to ask, and I'm not being facetious when I ask this, if you're vegan, is it a problem if the restaurant also has meat entrees? Like, is there a, are you worried about like contamination or having to smell meat or? being around people that eat meat. I'm asking seriously because these people are unhinged. They're they're wishing that these people would go out of business. And they're, you know, they're calling them unethical. Serving meat is worse than going out of business. No, nothing is worse than going out of business. <laughs> how can you how can you say that? Uh, seems, here's another commenter, seems like they're going to lose a lot of their original vegan clientele and probably not gain many of the more closed-minded they're targeting. Oh, so I guess if we eat meat, we're closed-minded. 
Another one, I think they'll find that meat is more expensive now, so good luck with that. Isn't it great how we all are experts at the restaurant business? We all know exactly what they should do. Because we've all run and operated highly successful restaurants ourselves. It's like I know what play the coach should run in, you know, in the football game. I Oh, I know what they should do here. This should be an RPO. From what experience am I drawing that? From watching a lot of football games? So anyway, they're taking a lot of heat for adding a um, mixed menu at the mango tree. Let's see what happens. 210-599-5555. Maybe there is some explanation that I don't know, and maybe we'll be enlightened by a vegan caller. We'll see. I promise I'll be respectful. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I have nothing against it. I, I, I will admit some vegans, not all, make it hard for me not to have a little fun with them. When they get really like, if it's just how you like to eat or you're doing it for health, that's fine. But when they get kind of fundamentalist about it, when they get kind of, um, you know, breathy about it, this, this person that's wishing they would go out of business because they violated the trust, that I have to make fun of. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. When last you and I got together on Friday, we were talking about and reacting to the red light special from President Biden, that crazy, angry screed that he delivered in Philadelphia Thursday night. Well, he rolled on through the weekend with um, almost like an increasing amount of anger and frustration. Shouldn't we be angry at him? He wrecked the economy, wrecked our foreign policy, um, you know, withdrew from Afghanistan in a way that got our people killed and left our stuff behind. He's done a worse job on COVID than Trump did. Why is he angry? In fact, why isn't he contrite? We should be angry. But here he is over the weekend yelling and screaming. Here he is when a heckler, uh, this is in Milwaukee, I think, a heckler starts uh, yelling at him. Listen to this. Cut number five. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. As I said last week, we remain in the battle for the soul of America. By the way, all right, God love you. Let him go. Let him go. No, 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 no. Don't let let him go. Let him. He's, look, everybody's entitled to be an idiot. No, no, everybody's entitled. Okay? Look. Look fat. All right, 210-599-5555. This guy is named Tom McDonald. I'd never heard of him before, but he um, uh, made a quick video commentary with his take on the red light special Thursday night. Listen to this. Cut number four. Look, I know everybody's pretty upset about this most recent Joe Biden speech. You know, the one with the red lights, where he's looking kind of like a pale skeletor. 
just so angry. Don't be mad that he said a lot of Republicans are extremists. These are the same people who think a woman is anybody with an imagination who identifies as one. These are the same people that tanked the economy, inflated the price of living, brought us to the brink of war with Russia, cowered from China, fundled the pandemic, ignored a fentanyl epidemic, food shortages, gas prices, amplified social unrest, took us to the verge of an energy crisis, and divided America at record speed. If anybody else made this many bad decisions, we wouldn't take a damn thing they say seriously. Don't let them upset you. They wouldn't know what an extremist looked like if it was fully dressed in body armor, burning down a city in broad daylight, and then walked up to them claiming to identify as a lawnmower, offering to cut their grass. Look, my dog has better judgment than these people, and I've seen my dog try to eat his own <laughs> So that's, that I, you know, that's a very succinct way of saying what we were talking about on Friday. You know, you if you understand the strategy here, it is to keep baiting you and taunting you until you give them a reaction that they can point to and say, aha, see? Because that's what January 6th was for them. Don't listen to them say they were scared on January 6th or they, they're heartbroken or they're, they fear. January 6th was a gift to them. Whatever happens in this midterm, it would have been way worse if they were not walking around wearing January 6th like a shield. I'm not excusing what was done, but there's no excuse for the craven opportunism they've shown and they've used it, used, you know, used it for. And, and they've basically taken it. I mean, it was a finite number of people who did the wrong thing. They've taken that and smeared all of you with it. You weren't there, you say. It doesn't matter. You wouldn't have done those things. It doesn't matter. You know how elections work. It doesn't matter. You didn't want to hang Mike Pence. It doesn't matter. And, of course, they'd be the first ones to call that. They even have a term for it. If you and I did it about anybody else, if we said all blankety-blank people do this or all blankety-blank people act this way, they'd say, you're stereotyping. They are stereotyping with glee over January 6th. And I think the current approach is designed to provoke another reaction they will again be able to walk around with like a trophy or a pelt. So we were talking, uh, Christian, about the job market, what's going on out there, and obviously... You and I have worked in radio, so we have been on a lot of job interviews. <laughs> yeah, you could say oh, that. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, have you ever had anything weird or strange or unexpected or whatever happened in a job interview? Um, there's one. I just don't think I can tell it on the air. Mm, okay. It's a long time ago, but I mean, usually was I mean, a, was a criminal statute involved? Or? No, no, yeah. just not not exactly appropriate. Oh, okay. It was in California. I can say that. Mm, mm. So, I didn't have anything like that ever happened? But I did find out one time I I came out of a job interview that I thought had gone pretty well. I'd driven to another city to to do this interview, and when I got back in the car and I looked in the mirror just to check myself, the I had a button down shirt collar with a tie. Yeah, and I had not buttoned down the collar points; they were jutting up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like 
Like, has this dude ever worn a shirt before? Right. Although nowadays, to just even wear that to an interview, it would probably be, you'd get points just for wearing a shirt with a collar, right? It might be hip today. Yeah. Right. Now now somebody would go, oh, they're wearing them those, that way now. That's how the kids are wearing them now. Jack Riccardi's a trendsetter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 210-599-5555. Yeah, we... We hear, you know, Christian has the, the stats or you hear the stats on the news about the, the jobless rate and number of jobs created. And, but what's the real deal when you're out there trying to find one? And what's the real deal if you're out there running a, a business? And we have a lot of people in the audience of this show who are either owners or managers of a business. What's the hiring situation like? 210-599-5555. New York City Public Schools uh, looks like they're going to eliminate snow days. So when there's bad weather, instead of canceling school, they will transition the kids to virtual learning for the bad weather day. And that's a bummer, uh, not only because virtual learning has not proven its merits, but I just I think this is... Uh, part of a bigger problem we have and we talked about it years ago with a guy named anthony esselin who wrote a book called 10 ways to destroy the imagination of your child and his book is about how childhood has gone from being uh, mostly unstructured you know you, you might have you had your schoolwork, you had your homework you had your chores but most children when you and i grew up and most children in our time also had some free time some mess around with your bike time, go find your friends time, daydream and look at the shapes the clouds are making, you know, time. And and he writes in the book about how those are the times that you're forming your future. You're, you're daydreaming about the job you might want to have. You're daydreaming about what you want to do with your life or where you want to go. you got to have that when you're young. And he says today's children, it's, in his mind, it's very sad. Their every minute is accounted for and scheduled. Think about your routine. You rush to pick them up from school, but it's not to bring them home. It's to get them to practice. It's to get them to this lesson. It's to get them to piano. It's to get them to softball. Now, I'm not saying if your kids want to do those things, it's fine. But his point is, what if kids just had more, you know, open time? Free-range time. And that's what a snow day is. It's an unexpected break in the routine. 210-599-5555. Um, we've been talking about uh, Joe Biden's ongoing rage. And it's interesting to me, when, you know, he, he and others have used the word fascism to describe Trump voters but as is often the case when they point the finger outward you know the old saying the other fingers are pointing toward you um fascism and the modern left are mass movements both um dislike parliamentary procedure or representative government they don't have time for it remember remember president obama would always say we can't wait they um 
have no patience or capacity for disagreement or dissent. So if you're not with them, you have to be demonized and called an enemy. And then they're not content. They're political, but they're not content to stay within the arena of politics. Fascist movements always move into churches and universities and social clubs and sports and entertainment. And it's the same thing here. The left has has insinuated itself into every other institution, the military, every other institution, even the family. German families in the 1930s were told, members of Hitler Youth were told, to inform on their parents if their parents were not sufficiently pro-Nazi. Mao did this during the Cultural Revolution in China. And what do we have now? We have teachers asking students to confide in them. Don't tell your parents your true gender identity or pronouns, but you can tell me. Don't talk, don't talk at home about what we're going to cover in the classroom today. Don't bring these materials home. Don't tell anybody at home what we're teaching and talking about. So what they're calling us it appears to me, describes them. One other thing that's interesting, when you look at every fascist movement of the 20th century, it always started out with the, we're going to level the playing field and we're going to bring down the rich and powerful. But you know what? In, in the end, um, their brand of equality or socialism or whatever you want to call it always still had a, a, an upper crust and then everybody else. There were stores that only the upper crust could go to. There were restaurants that only the upper crust could go to. There were, there were rights and privileges that only the upper crust had. Only the upper crust rode in cars or had power that stayed on all the time or water. It, it's amazing when you look at the modern American left, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're a bunch of fascists. But since they've introduced the word, I'm applying it up to them. I'm saying, well, by your standards, aren't you actually fitting the description or the definition? Colluding with business, blurring the line between public and private sectors, even inviting big tech to, you know, uh, co-sponsor elections. It's interesting. I think one way to look at what Biden did last week and over the weekend is to laugh at it, and it's healthy to laugh. But another way to look at it is um, if you just apply the rule that most of the time what they are yelling about and pointing fingers about is what they are doing, you will not be wrong very often. You will, ha- you will have that right more often than you have that wrong. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I mean, come on, man. Not this year. We beat Farmer this year. We beat Farmer this year. And Why is this man so angry? We should be angry at him. 210-599-5555. But if you think about it, A really good deflection strategy 
when you know that you've been a total failure and a disappointment is to come out of the gate as if you're the aggrieved party. You're the angry one. You're furious with the way things are. And if you come out loud enough and fast enough, maybe people won't notice that, hey, we're supposed to be mad at you, not mad with you. And, of course, they're always the victim. Right? So here's a man who asked for the privilege of serving in the highest office in the land. And he, it's nothing is his fault, and everything is the other guy's fault, and the other guy's supporters. Okay. 210-599-5555. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure, I said this last week, pretty sure most people are, are wising up to this, or, or let me put it this way, maybe not most people. More and more people are wising up to the line this guy's running. So keep the faith, stay cool. Every time they show their true colors, every time the mask slips, every time Lori Lightfoot has a has a hissy fit in Chicago about the the immigrants on the, coming on the buses, it opens a few more eyes. It reveals a few more truths. I really believe because they can't help themselves and they're drunk with power, they are showing their, their colors every day. That's, that's good. 210-599-5555. We've also been talking about the job market in San Antonio. Seems a little weird from what people are telling me. Um, and I want to get your anecdotes or your thoughts about it. Experiences with it. Jim is on KTSA. Jim, thanks for hanging on. Good afternoon. Hey, Jack, how you doing? Hit a lot of hot-button issues today. I love it. Hey, um, I appreciate so I'm, I'm, I've been looking to hire attorneys, paralegals, and legal staff at a law firm for the past eight, eight months, I guess. And the problem that you're describing is not just in the blue-collar area. It's white-collar as well. And I've, I've been trying, racking my brain, trying to figure out what, what is causing it. You know, there's nobody submitting resumes. There's nobody agreeing to come to interviews. When you do interview, nobody wants to really jump ship. And I think part of it might be just the general instability in the economy right now. And the last thing you want to do is initiate change in an unstable market. And so somebody's not willing to to look for something else or looking to improve when they're just trying to kind of hold on to what they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, I think, maybe a COVID hangover. You know, the economy was completely disrupted. People lost their jobs. Businesses went under. Um, because of the actions of government. And I think people are just not willing to take the risk that they might go to a place that is less stable and, le- yeah. and more susceptible to being yeah. shut down in, in a situation like that. Interesting. It, yeah, it, no, it I, think you, I think you're probably right about that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Um, when you say you're having trouble, is it no one's applying or just the, ap- the applicants are not suitable? Well, I'll, I'll be specific for you. So we, we, we have job postings on a lot of the major online job posting websites, plus hiring headhunters to go out and look for people who, who work at an established firm that, that might be willing to come over. And I've had two attorney resumes given to me in the last eight months of people that were responding either to an ad or to a headhunter mm-hmm. that they would be willing to, to move. Um, 
that's really, really low. Mm. Um, especially for a lot. I mean, I've been in this business for 20 years, and I've never seen anything like it where, where people just are not willing to move. And the ones that are willing to move get caught up or, or get snatched up very quickly and at a yeah. premium price. Yeah. Interesting. So, well, good luck. And it's an interesting perspective from a different part of the economy or a different part of the hiring sector than we had been hearing from. So, Jim, thank you. I appreciate having you, and I appreciate your yeah. your thoughts on that. Let me get to John here on KTSA. John, happy Tuesday night. Happy Tuesday to you, too. Uh, thanks for having me on. And I, 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 I agree with Jim um, in a lot of ways. I'm a small business owner, but I'm also uh, a manager of a, uh, a health care facility. Um, so for my small business, it's no problem because it's just a couple of us. But for the healthcare uh, business, I manage uh, several hundred people, and it's very hard to not just retain people but also hire. So I look at um, about a 50% attrition rate currently in the uh, uh, South Texas area specifically. Uh, for remote, uh, there's plenty of applicants, and keeping people is um, is difficult as well. We tend to have uh, people stay on for no more than about 90 days before they start to look for another job or a higher pay or whatever it is. And um, that seems to be the biggest issue that we're facing. Yeah, I hear that a lot, that because it's a, you know, it's basically an employee's market, um, people are always keeping their options open and they will jump. And and I guess the the idea that that would look bad to a future employer is not really a consideration anymore. Cause I can remember at one time you would, of course you jump for more money, but you had to look at, I don't want to appear to be a short timer or a person that doesn't keep his word. Right. 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 And you know, I'm, you know, I'm not exactly a spring chicken anymore. I'm only 42, but when I was younger, um, that was definitely one of the things that uh, was instilled in me is you don't want to be job hopping. You right. don't want to have those gaps on your resume. Uh, but today, and I've talked to a lot of these individuals, the younger crowd, and sometimes in some cases, the older crowd as well, but specifically the younger crowd, uh, they just don't care. They're just like, well, I want to go where the money is yeah. and uh, whoever's going to pay me the most, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, that's that whole gig economy uh, mindset. John, thank you. Great call. Appreciate having you. Richard is on the Jack Riccardi Show on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hey, Richard. Yes, sir. So what are you, what are you seeing out there? What, am I, what I'm seeing, and like I said, you know, I'm already hitting 60, and like the gentleman was saying right now, you know, people go and look for these jobs. But then again, these younger guys, when they do get these jobs and ladies, you know, they always happen to, you know, and what I see out there, they find a problem with their job. And then the first thing they say, ah, that's all right. I'll just go and get whatever they're throwing out there for, you know, the government giving them money and stuff. You know, to me, that's not the solution. You know, you don't want to work. Oh, it's okay. Don't work. No, we have to work because like Donald Trump says, we got to make this America great again. I'm Hispanic. I'm a Mexican, but I truly believe on that because this world this, the United States at one time meant something. And right now, I feel as an American, a Mexican-American, we're sitting on the bottom of the totem pole, should I say. You know, we got to get it together. It isn't the government. It isn't this. It's us as people. We need to get it together because if not, mm-hmm. you think we're losing now? And I tell the people out there, keep doing what you're doing, and we're going to lose even more. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I really I'm worried about. I I get that young people think about work differently than we did when when we were their age, and I know this change is constant. But I I really worry about people who think that um, being able-bodied and choosing not to work is a legit thing. And we we not only told them that. We trained them. We drummed that into their head during COVID that it was heroic to stay home. So, yeah, we've broken this thing in a way that it's never been uh, broken before. Richard, great call. Good to hear from you, sir. I hope you'll call again. Uh, 210-599-5555. I say this all the time. It's not just a cycle or a recession thing or, you know, swinging of the pendulum. We redefined basic terms over these last two and a half years. Don't blame people. I mean, we, we drilled it into them. So don't blame people for now understanding these things very differently. And it also comes back to something we talk about a lot on this show, which is that if you have a, a, a society, a culture that didn't, that never really got a basic grounding in economics, I'm not talking about arithmetic. I'm talking about, you know, supply and demand. Employer, employee, capitalism. If if you if you never taught that, and they don't know that, then this thing we've built doesn't really work. This thing we've built kind of depends on the people in it knowing how it works. You know, like when you go onto a, the floor of a of a big factory, everybody's doing a little piece of the action they're doing a task right and they know what they do and they know how it fits into the whole they know how what they do contributes to the product that rolls off the end of the assembly line in our economy that requires citizens who understand capitalism uh, econ 101 where stuff comes from how wealth is created what government does to wealth, because government doesn't produce wealth. Government uh, extracts wealth from people and from the economy. It parasitically withdraws it, but it doesn't produce anything. So you hear young people say things like, well, why doesn't the government just print more money? Or why doesn't the government pay people who aren't working? And I, I don't... As frustrating as I'm sure it is to you to hear that, and it is to me too, I have to remind myself, why should they think otherwise? Where would they have ever heard the economic facts of life? This is a big problem, and it's by design. We took this stuff out of basic K-12. through We've produced a population of people to whom you can lie about capitalism, and they will not know it as a lie. That's how you can have a guy like Joe Biden, who his entire life has been in the pockets of the banking industry and Wall Street, whose, whose um, campaign attracted two and a half times as much Wall Street money as Donald Trump's did. And Wall Street knows Donald Trump. That's how you can get a guy like him going around the country railing like he's, you know, um, Williams Jennings Bryant. Oh, we, we beat Big Pharma. 
No, you didn't. You took buku money from them. You steered billions to them. And and I, I worry that we can explain this stuff till we're blue in the face, but if you have a population of people that aren't equipped to hear it, they're never going to get it. Let him go. Let him. He's, look, everybody's entitled to be an idiot. How many no's was that? Must have, must have to have a contest, you know, like guess the number of jelly beans. Guess the number of no's. Um, this half hour, the results on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. Should schools replace days off for bad weather with virtual learning days? That's what New York City schools are going to do. Um. I found this video, uh, a guy that I follow on Twitter had retweeted it, and it's been retweeted and retweeted. It's gone viral. It's, I, I don't know who he is, but he'll tell you in the beginning that he's um, a new, newly emigrated American, just got his citizenship, and he is going to speak kind of like in an open letter to President Biden. He's responding to Biden's unhinged, rants about MAGA Republicans and their fascists and without any attack, without any rancor, in a very calm, open way, this man says, look, this is what it means to me. Take a listen. This message is for the President of the United States. So if you know someone close to him, please tag them so they can bring this to his attention. My name is Alma Eugenio Pari. I'm a person of faith, a husband of 16 years, and a father of four wonderful children. I am also an immigrant to the United States of America. I came here at the age of 19, full of hope, optimism, and a willingness to do what was necessary to achieve the American dream. After 18 years of waiting and hoping, I was finally granted the privilege of becoming an American citizen in 2021. Today, I am a proud American a law-abiding patriot, and a man willing to defend the principles and values that made America great and brought people like me here. Mr. President, I am also a conservative Republican, or what you have recently labeled a MAGA Republican. Over the last few days, you have looked into the camera and called me and millions of other people like me extremists. You have told me and my children that we don't matter to you because of our beliefs. Your spokespeople and the media have labeled us dangerous, full of hate and a threat to democracy. You went as far as to suggest that we would not stand a chance against the government's F-15s in defending our country from tyranny. Your party leaders have taken your cue and called us terrorists and all this without taking any time to acknowledge our humanity, listen to our concerns, or seek to understand our fears. I was born in a country where my rights were not always guaranteed. And to hear the President of America and the leader of the free world 
dismissed more than 70 million of his own countrymen as fringe and extreme and not worth listening to breaks my heart and makes me wonder what I should tell my children about the future of this once great shining city on a hill. This is the reason many of us embrace the call to make America great again. It is because we believe our great nation is under a moral, fiscal, and spiritual assault. We are MAGA because we want to restore the promise in the hearts of our children that this is the place where their efforts will be rewarded and where their true potential can be realized. We are MAGA because we believe in freedom of speech, the freedom to exercise our religion. We believe in limited government and the rule of law. We are MAGA because we love the Constitution and believe our founders established a means for we the people to defend it from enemies both foreign and domestic. I am MAGA because I want to be able to look into the eyes of my four black children to assure them that they're not victims, that they hold inside them what it takes to achieve anything they set their hearts on. We believe our leaders should put America and its interests first before any other nation. We believe our government should not saddle our children and grandchildren with insurmountable debt, chasing after a misguided idea of controlling or changing the course of the climate. Millions of us were horrified to witness what happened on January 6 and believe that justice must be served. But we also see through the attempt to paint all Republicans with a false moniker of insurrectionists and to conflate the genuine misgivings of those who feel disaffected and disenfranchised with an unfounded accusation that we are somehow against democracy. We are MAGA because we love law enforcement, but doubt whether the Justice Department or the FBI can be trusted to deal fairly and impartially when they have given us clear and repeated evidence of their political bias against half of the country. As a new American, this November will be the first time I get to exercise my right to vote, a right I've waited nearly two decades to earn. I understand the urge during an election season to attack those you see as political opponents. But Mr. President, I am not your enemy and the tens of millions of MAGA Republicans are not filled with hate towards anyone. We love this country. We are heirs of the great legacy of freedom this country has afforded us and wish to exercise our rights to be heard and not demonized. So I ask you, Mr. President, to tear down this wall of divisiveness and division that seeks to pit your fellow citizens against one another. Heed your own call for unity and lay off the rhetoric that seeks to demonize and defame millions of people who would give their lives and fortunes to defend these United States. If you believe in the redemption of America, then give my children a reason to hope, a reason to believe that our best days are ahead of us, in spite of the challenges we face as a country. Thank you for listening. He uh, he speaks for me. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better. And I talk for a living. I found myself, this is probably about the fourth or fifth time I've listened to this. I found myself, the first time I heard it, and again, I don't, I don't know anything about this gentleman. He tells you who he is and his story. But something clicked 
because he's obviously a person of great faith. And he, he also is a person of who seems to um, show a great deal of respect. So he's saying, please, Mr. President, I implore you, Mr. President, you can do better than this, Mr. President. And I go back to the words which Joe Biden spoke or were chosen for him, maybe, maybe he didn't come up with them, about battle for the soul of the country. Now, I, I'm cynical about his using that phrase, very. But if you meant that, if you meant that, when you battle for people's souls, you are battling for souls that are with the devil. You're battling for souls that have gone over to the other side. You're battling for souls that are lost. That's what it means. There's no need to save a soul unless it's already in some sort of jeopardy. So you can't say you're in the soul-saving or soul-restoring business of for people or for a country, if a country can be said to have a soul, and simultaneously belittle and attack those people, those souls. I mean, it would be as if it would be as if a, a, a preacher was attacking the people that came to hear him preach. I don't think that'd be a very effective. I'm just guessing. I don't think that'd be a very effective tool of uh, of baptism or conversion. All right. Anyway, tell me what you think. And if you don't get a call in, you can always shoot me an email, jack at ktsa.com. I, I, I retweeted it, if you follow me on Twitter, and uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. What a what a band! What a long history and just sounded so good. The Wilson Sisters. All right, on the uh, JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, should schools replace bad weather days off? Hey, kids, no school today. It's snowing with virtual learning. Hey, kids, it's snowing. Get on that computer and don't move. Well, he didn't like that idea. 84% said no. 16% yes. New JR poll tomorrow at 4, or you can find it anytime at ktsa.com. It's interesting, by the way, this is New York City that's doing this. Um, I was looking at some, uh, at an article, uh, I think it was in the Atlantic, actually, and it was looking. This article was looking at census figures, and it said one of the interesting things no one's talking about is black flight from America's big cities. If you look at the center city of a Detroit, a, an Atlanta, a Cleveland, a Los Angeles. The, one of the most obvious patterns is black families are leaving. Why is that interesting? Because not so long ago, big cities in the North and the Midwest is where black families were going. There's a terrific book, one of the best books about American history you'll ever read, called The Heat of Other Suns. 
It's by Isabel Wilkerson. And it's about what was called the Great Migration, about the phenomenon of black families leaving the South during Jim Crow. And one of the things she discovered in her research is that if you were from a particular state, you were likely to go to a particular city. A lot of Louisiana people went to L.A. and stuff like that. But anyway, in the course of that, all the things that brought people to those cities are gone. Better schools, better housing, better uh, opportunities, better jobs, security, safety. All those things are gone. And they're gone because of the way those cities are governed. And those cities are all governed, even if it's a nonpartisan election, by Democrats. I don't know how long it will take for people to figure out that moving away from a crappy situation is only half the battle. You have to move away from it physically or geographically, but then you have to move away from it politically. So I see that black families are leaving Cleveland and Detroit. I'm wondering when they'll leave the Democratic Party. That's the thing. That's the next shoe to drop, right? And it gives us something to talk about, and we will. I'll see you back here tomorrow at 4 on the radio live or find the show on demand, whole episode podcasts, jackricardipage at ktsa.com.